Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. On a beautiful sunny day in Denver, Colorado, I got to take a walk with the first woman to walk around the world. Do I need to say any more? Do you think she has some stories to tell? Of course she does. You're going to hear that conversation today, plus some thoughts on walking and a couple shout outs to some lovely souls in this listening community. It's all happening right now, so buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Maybe you're on the road right now. Are you riding a horse? Are you riding a train somewhere in the middle of nowhere? Maybe you're just chilling at home or running on the treadmill at the gym, whatever. Either way, so glad you are here. Got a wonderful show for you today. Now, a little background on today's episode. I wanted to share some highlights from the archives this month because I've done over 400 shows and there are so many incredible guests that have come on and just offered their wisdom, practical advice, amazing travel stories, all the stuff you know and love from the interviews here in this show. Inspiration. You hear my enthusiasm as I'm talking to all of these guests because I'm getting inspired. I'm getting educated. I'm getting new knowledge and new perspectives along with you. And I wanted to bring some of my favorites out from the archives this month for you to enjoy. And this one was recorded back in 2015. I got to take a walk with the first person to ever walk around the world. (laughs) What an incredible experience. I never thought I'd have a chance to do something like that. And what a treat to just be able to walk side by side with her, somebody that's taken so many steps. I mean, she walked 14,000 miles across four continents and she's got some stories to tell she did an awareness campaign around this we talk about that in the interview and just timeless lessons here it doesn't matter if this was recorded some years ago it's still relevant today and i'm so excited to bring it to you stick around afterwards i will share some personal thoughts about walking and also a couple shout outs to some lovely souls here 
in this listening community. Now, let's slip and slide into the interview segment. Here's me taking a walk with Polly Latovsky, first woman to ever walk around the world. I am honored and humbled to be here in Denver, Colorado, taking a walk with someone who knows a little bit about long walks. In fact, she walked for five years straight through four continents, 22 countries, and over 14,000 miles. And she is the first woman to ever walk around the world. And she was a woman walking for women. What I mean by that is her journey was a mission to bring global awareness to breast cancer. And during her walk, she raised over $250,000 for that cause, which I got to high five you for that. And growing. <laughs> and growing. Her book is called Three Miles Per Hour, The Adventures of One Woman's Walk Around the World. It is my privilege to welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, Polly Latovsky. Thanks for being here. Thanks. And I like that we're walking <laughs> yeah. while we're talking. So officially we're walking the talk. <laughs> I figured you would. We're this is like your bit of your natural environment, I guess. <laughs> it really is. Um, I wanted to mention really quickly, you can find Polly's a book and documentary and some of her other projects at pollylatovsky.com. And that's L-E-T-O-F-S-K-Y. And do you still take a lot of walks like this? Every day. I went last night for two hours. In fact, I just got done walking before I joined you. <laughs> it's hardly a walk. It's it's a mosey. It's a saunter. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. My book would be called Two Miles an Hour if I, if <laughs> Right I now, if today. you wrote it today. Yes. Uh, why did you pick this place? Because I, when I contacted you, I said, I'd, you know, I didn't realize you were in Denver. I said, oh, it'd be really cool to do this in person. And let's, why not take a walk while you're doing it? And I love to walk too. So what was it about here that... Uh, that you chose? Well, this is Wash, Washington Park, Wash Park, as, as the locals call it. And it's a place that you can walk without getting hit by a bike, first of all. Right. As opposed to the, <laughs> the recreation trails, which are really owned <laughs> by the bikers. Let's not kid anybody. Um, and it's really a place that I meet friends a lot. And we just, again, it's hardly walk for exercise, per se, as opposed to walk to for therapy mm -hmm. and connection and that's what me and friends do all the time this is my park yeah my park <laughs> yeah i thought i saw your name out yeah, there on the <laughs> sign uh well, now walking is super therapeutic uh, i mean that's that's an understatement i think yeah i agree and i found that I just kind of did the math. I don't know this as, as far as scientific, but it's certainly anecdotal. That when I go and do a walk before, like at night, mm -hmm. I go walk for an hour, just mosey and think and maybe talk on the phone with a friend, whatever. And I'm just, I just sleep so well and I'm just so relaxed. And, the, and all the gunk that fills your head over the course of a day just kind of lifts and clears and makes sense. Mm. And when I don't do that for a couple of days... I just get anxious. Yeah. I just start feeling anxious. Yeah. And that's why I, I'm a big advocate of it, even to this day. I still love it to this day. I'll tell you what I still love about uh, elements of my walk is, again, the walking every day and the clarity that it keeps your mind in. And I love discovering a new town. Every day, every, I love discovering a new town. I like to find the best diner in the whole time. This is my thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And of course, there's a lot I just don't miss about it. I, I love coming home every night now knowing I have my bed and a fridge 
with my food in it and a blender mm-hmm. and cats. <laughs> I also <laughs> so. find sometimes even in your own town, if you take a walk and just take a different route, it gives you a whole new perspective on even a place that you live. Oh, I agree. Yes, <laughs> so I take a road trip all the way across the town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and for me, like, because I love to hike and that's essentially walking, but in the mountains, um, it clears your head and then it's weird because when your head get, gets clear, then for some reason ideas and things start pouring in i think well you know you really are on to something because you know steve jobs insisted he just he, he insisted that walking helps yeah. clarify and be creative uh, ben franklin went for walks every day and mozart went for walks all the time so there and, and there's more there's a big list of people in it that just loved walking every day Every day they went walking. Steve Jobs was one of them. Yeah. So, yeah, me and Steve, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're That's the same. Kin, right? <laughs> um, I have tons of questions for you because, obviously, you did such an amazing journey. There's so much around it. Uh, the first question I wanted to ask, though, is from my mom because oh. I talked to her last night. And, you know, it's funny because she's, uh, she's a pretty philosophical, spiritual woman. And it surprised me the question she had. The first thing she thought was... Ask her how her feet held up. <laughs> she, Go she, mom. She wonders, you know, she's like, I don't know if my feet would hold up on a journey like that. And I have really small feet. Yeah. You know? well, I have small feet. They're very you do have narrow. Small feet. <laughs> and, and they're skinny and they're flat and, and all. They actually held up very, very well. Yeah. It's really quite stunning. They, I went through bouts, like two or three bouts of just getting blisters a lot. And that was primarily due to the terrain that Mm. I was on and extreme, extreme heat, meaning 110, 118 degrees, that kind Mm. of thing. And other than those bouts, which lasted about a month each, my feet really did very well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I'll, I'll thank New Balance for that. I insist on having (laughs) New Balance shoes or, you know, New Balance in Australia became a sponsor and they insisted uh, you know, when I met with them, I'm like, oh, one pair every four months is fine. They're like, no, every two months. And I'm like, no, every four months. So he insisted. Well, yeah. every two months. I was like, okay. Well, that's good. Well, you were th- probably what that meant really burning had, through rubber. <laughs> well, I had like optimum support the entire time. Right. So, of course, it starts with your feet and comes up through your ankles, knees, and hips, and back, and everything. Mm. So I don't have any residual effects at all from walking 14,000 plus miles. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and, yeah. So I really plus, do give you them still credit. walk all the time. I, I, and, yeah, plus. <laughs> plus, plus. That was just one five-year stretch, right? Right. Um, should we keep walking this way? Sure. Does this keep going around? I don't even know. Actually, I haven't walked around this lake. I should describe the scene because I like to do that when I'm in person. It's, a, yeah, it's just a really beautiful lake. It's a city park, um, but pretty serene. Yes, and if you get the right view, you can get the mountains oh, in yeah? the background. Oh, okay. And, yeah, lots of bikers and walkers and puppies and babies. And, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we love Dogs there. Yes. Hi. Uh, it's a beautiful sunny day. And uh, one of the reasons I started with the question about uh, my mom is because, actually, in February 2002, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she's a survivor. She's wow. she's here. She's okay. Good. Uh, so I just wanted to look you in the eye and say a personal thank you for all the thank work you. that you've done because Thanks. you know that is something that's personally affected my life and the lives of many other people. In fact, I was just doing some research last night on breastcancer.org. Uh, it said one in eight U.S. women will develop 
invasive breast cancer. You know, how did breast cancer impact your life? And what was it about that cause that that kind of merged your adventure with uh, with creating global awareness around that? Well, I'll tell you, I just really always want to be clear on this because it wasn't as if I personally was affected and it launched me out the door and I just kept going, mm-hmm. as some reporters have reported. <laughs> so there's one thing I learned is about the media. Sure, and yeah. That's so, a whole other conversation, yeah. probably. So that was not the case. Yeah. The reality is that I always wanted to do this walk. Since I was a kid, I wanted to go walk around the world. And that's how I wanted to go, discover the world. But they were thinking so far outside the box. I thought that'll never happen. I'll never actually say it out loud, right? So as I got older into my 30s, and it started coming up into the forefront of my mind. At the same time, there was this kind of collision with that idea getting clearer. And a number of women in my world were being diagnosed with breast cancer Mm -hmm. this one particular year. I think everybody knows somebody, you know? Yeah, and it was so suddenly in my immediate world. I had an aunt who survived it, another aunt who did not survive it. I had a very good friend in Denver, a very prominent community member in Vail. It was so suddenly in my world that I was just thinking about it all the time. And that's when I thought that's what I'll do that walk for, that I've always wanted to do. Mm. And I put the two together and was with just one of the best moves I ever made. And I've decided that... I could never get breast cancer at this point with everything I've done for breast cancer. So it's really a, a precautionary thing, see? Right. Yeah, you had an interesting story in your book about a, a doctor who told you that, actually, that, you oh, you can't get it because uh, for Cause some it reason doesn't it doesn't run on your my family, which is a total yes. fallacy. Yeah, but, um, that's what happened is, is I when all these women in my world were being diagnosed with breast cancer... I just got nervous, so I went to the doctor to ask for a mammogram. I was probably 34 years old at the time. And he said, oh, you don't need to worry about getting breast cancer because it doesn't run on your mother's side of the family. Right. So what do I know? I went, that's fantastic news. (laughs) Right. And then, of course, that's, yeah. And then I realized that wasn't true. Can't always trust doctors, right? I'm afraid not. Um, So I think it's interesting because we're we're about 100 miles, roughly, from where you started your walk. You started... (laughs) In Vail, but the genesis of that walk, as you mentioned, it was a dream of yours. It, that didn't start in Vail, right? So there was a, a time in your life, I guess, when the idea got planted. Yeah, uh, I was 12 years old, and I was in Minneapolis, grew up in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a year, uh, I was 12 years old, and I really started to discover that there was this whole big world going on around me. And I think we, I think... 12 years old, if you talk to people, 12 years old is really when they start seeing the world as a bigger place beyond their backyard and their friends and the bike and mm. the tree. And for me, it was 12, and I started reading the newspaper, Minneapolis Star and Tribune. Mm. Minneapolis Tribune. I could, I could actually time. hear a little bit of your uh, accent from I Minnesota. I refuse to believe it. No, you don't. <laughs> I do. I no, can detect a Midwest accent. It's I, been I gone caught it a long bit. time. <laughs> Boat. <laughs> anyway, so I started reading the paper, yeah. and I started reading about all these places that I've never heard of, and it really just got me curious about the, how the world ticks. And then in the Minneapolis Star and Tribune one morning, this way. Okay, <laughs> I I saw this photo of a man walking down an empty highway with a big floppy hat on his head, and yeah. And he was pulling a baby buggy or a trailer of some sort. And I just remember going, you know, reading the caption and it said David Kunst walking down 
I think it was Nebraska, some mm. Nebraska road, on his way home to Minnesota to become the first man to walk around the world. Mm. And I thought, wow, I didn't know you could think of such a thing if you were from Minnesota. Right. And it just struck me. Yeah. That man is just putting one little foot in front of the other. He was from the same place you were, and there was a bit of a... Kind of like a moment there where you just like light like bulbs started going off. It really did. It yeah. was a simplicity of just putting one foot in front of the other. But when you chain those tiny steps together, they can become so powerful mm. that they can serve as your transportation around the world yeah. and across borders into these different cultures and climates and religions and languages and foods and peoples. And oh, that got me so excited. I thought I can do that. You know what I did? I, I so remember this. And I didn't tell anybody, but I went out and I walked around the house. I walked around yeah, the oh, house really? for right, hours. Right I walked then? around really? the house. Yes. No kidding. As and soon as you got the idea. <laughs> I did. Walked around the house and around the house. And I thought, well, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but really, that's all it takes, right? Putting one foot in front of the other. <laughs> there you go. If I can walk around the house for three hours, I might as well take on the world. Well, we know there's a lot more involved, but that's... Uh, that's a great, that's the, the beauty of childhood innocence, right? It's yeah, just I'm like, afraid so. I can walk around the house because I can do this, but... So you, uh, you, sounds like you were really getting after it right away, which is, is pretty interesting. And, um, of course, there's a, a big leap between having uh, an idea when you're 12 and then actually doing it. So how old were you when you started your walk? I was 37 okay. when I started walking. I was 42 when I finished. So, so you were pretty, like kind of set up in terms of life you had a job you had sort of yeah you were living a somewhere job and a mortgage and right. an ira and a 401k and a good job and <laughs> all that other, all that stuff yeah people have to leave behind when they go to do something yeah, yeah and it really was how to pack up a life yeah you know so it really is you know what do you do with your mail do you forward you forward your mail and this is this is you know, 1997, 1998 is when I was planning it. Mm. 1999, I left. Mm. So this is, for all intents and purposes, we really did not have the internet connection that we have right now. Right. So it was just at the, the very infancy of it. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to stop your mail, you had to call every individual piece of junk mail you had. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Right. Every, I remember taking stacks of junk mail and calling them one by one. Yeah. Please stop this. Please get me off your... Da, da, da. And they said, okay, well, it might take six months. You know, so it's, it was a draw. It's not this instantaneous push the button and all your mail will stop kind of era. It's a process getting, stripping down and getting rid of everything. <laughs> it was. Basically. I remember I gathered up everything with a big U-Haul and what was what was that like emotionally when you're I think that's it's not just a physical process of like unloading you know your apartment and all this stuff but you're also you have to kind of release things emotionally as well was it difficult to to start that journey and know you were leaving all this stuff behind the comforts of home because there's a lot of unknowns right. it uh, ahead it just so no, wasn't you, no. it just felt right it, it did and I remember yeah. when I did load up all this U-Haul and I drove it to a big flea market in Denver and I sold it all sold it all by about 3 o'clock that afternoon and I returned to this empty condo and it was so liberating yeah it really was. It was like, okay, next. <laughs> because I didn't want my belongings to own me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't want to take care of them. Sure. I still had about nine boxes of stuff, and I put them away in a little storage shed, and that was it. And, um, yeah, it was, it was very liberating because there's focus. There's focus. Hmm. It wasn't so much as letting go. It was... 
moving forward to what I envision. And, and you felt like uh, clear you, were, you were getting some con- taking some concrete steps that were making this dream an actual reality. Yeah. Which is important, I think, taking the small steps and, and then the bigger ones to eventually get there. Yeah, there was no doubts. I think I think that's what I did not have hmm. that people struggle with. Well, you must have had some doubts. So you want a foot in each world. I didn't have feet in both worlds. Hmm. It was like, nope, I'm going for it. <laughs> so, so. And no pun intended when we're talking about feet in both worlds, right? <laughs> no, no pun intended. Now, you know, I'm not in that frame of mind anymore at yeah. all. And I don't have that focus anymore. So, hmm. you know... The the thought of packing up my life at this point is, oh, geez, oh, who wants to do that? Yeah. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. I know you mentioned not having doubts, which is uh, astounding, but I know you had fears like everybody and you had a great quote that you said, fear comes from the unknown. My great plan was to get to know it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there, there are a lot of things, I think, that, that are even more unique to, to a woman going on a journey like this. Uh, you want to talk about some of the things that uh, you were going through your mind when you're kind of getting ready to take those first steps and you're like, holy crap, I got a lot of, a lot of adventures ahead of me and I don't know what's going to happen. That sort of fear of the unknown. What was going through your head? You know, I wish I could remember what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I did not keep a journal 
prior to leaving. Hmm. And I think I regret that because yeah. I really wish I would have known what was going on in my head. I I don't have any recollections of me being fearful because I was a woman. I don't I don't remember ever having those fears. Hmm. Um, there are some realities, but uh, there was a lot of uh, faith involved, faith that I could handle whatever came in my path. And and there almost has to be this, dare I say, blind faith, um, a trust that I could handle it. And I think the things I'd done in my life until that point had had given me security and proof that I could do that. I mean, I, I, it's not like I left the womb for the first time and off onto the road. I'd done a lot of traveling. I understood kind of how the world ticked as far as um, I know you've traveled a lot, and of course this podcast is about travelers. There is almost a community out there, this subculture of people traveling, and you create almost a community, don't you? Yeah. And you understand how how connections and networking works out there. And and frankly, the the, the people, the citizens... From town to town, I had trust in them too. They would reach out and yeah. help, and and boy, they did in record numbers. Record numbers. You had the faith in yourself, but also in humanity to come I really, through. Really when, did. When, when <laughs> I really needed, did. Yeah. Call it naivety if you yeah. want. I called it faith and trust in the world and the system and the people, mm. and and I did trust that I had enough experience to tackle whatever came in my path. And you might may have noticed just listening to the time frame that Polly uh, that you did your walk um, there was a, a major world event that happened smack dab in the middle uh, 9-11 and where were you when that happened? I was in Malaysia which was my first Muslim country and oddly enough Malaysia is this country that has it, it, it's a Muslim country but it has like 40% Muslims and then 30% Buddhists and then uh, it's uh, Tamil Indians and, and then miscellaneous. Mm. And so the first half of the country was pre-9-11, almost exactly to the mile, halfway through the country, which is their capital of Kuala Lumpur. That's when 9-11 struck. That's where I was. So the second half of Malaysia was that dodgy period right after 9-11 when everyone was on pins and needles around the world saying, what is America going to do? Mm. And so it was a very dodgy time. Happens to be the latter half of Malaysia was the more conservative Muslim area as well. So this was this, this uh, perfect blend of, you know, bad timing and bad place to be. Yeah. So it, it, got, it got a little... Um, I think that there was a lot going on quite literally behind my back that I will never know. And I say that because police would show up all the time and, and surround me and urge me to keep walking. And they wouldn't tell me what's going on because they really couldn't. You thought maybe that uh, was neighborhoods there a, or people you were, things you were going through or people were maybe... Was there a plot. threat right. somewhere? Because right. I was a high-profile American in their country right after these events is, is what it was. Yeah. Um, after 9-11, if I can take you back to that time, you know, flight stopped, travel stopped especially in these moderate Muslim countries. They just stopped. And if something would have happened in one of those moderate Muslim countries like Malaysia, mm-hmm. something would have happened to a high-profile American, which I was in the country at that time because mm. there was a lot of press. Yeah, because at that point, you've been getting a lot of attention. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So if something would have happened to me, I think that would have um, hurt their tourism. Mm. Um, and it's happened before, where uh, just un-American gets into trouble or whatever in yeah. one of those countries, and it makes and international news, and then travel stops and their economy stops. So no one will ever know why these police kept showing up. But they, there was a period where they would just guard my hotel door at night and I'm like oh hi wow (laughs) you know and there's you just on a walk right I mean and all the stuff's happening around you yeah a lot of it I will never know and I think in in that in those countries anyway I mean you had a couple things probably I wouldn't say going against you but that made you stand out you were a woman on your own Mm -hmm. um are you of the Jewish faith or well, my my dad was Jewish, yeah. so I, I tell people I'm the food side of Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> but if, you know, anybody had found those things, I mean, there's yeah. there's some things that, you know, could be hot points for certain people. That's exactly um, right. And I'm, I'm not so gonna, they don't care that it's not gonna just generalize, my father. Right, or, yeah. <laughs> um, talking about people that might be malicious for, yep. for certain reasons. And uh, I think one of the interesting cultural things uh, that I, I want to talk to you about is you know, kind of shifting off 9-11 and, and going on to your, your cause for breast cancer because you, you had mentioned repeatedly, I guess, through some of my research for this interview that this was something that wasn't really talked about in Muslim countries. And I wanted to ask you about that. Is it because it just involved breasts or what, what was it? It what? really is. So, and again, now this is 10 and 15 years ago, depending on yeah. You know, where I was. Sure. So things could have changed at this point, but I doubt they have. Mm. But if, oh, the the breast is considered like the giver of life. And so if the breast gets sick, it's God's will and you accept it. Okay? So there's one thing. Second thing is that the woman will never say anything. She finds a big lump on her breast. She won't, she won't disrupt the family. And she certainly won't go to a doctor who might have to see her naked. So there mm. were these issues, and, and they're just they're going on. Yeah. So uh, what happened in my case is that the Lions Clubs got involved in early Australia, Lions Clubs being, you know, the service organizations based in every town around the world, mm. volunteer organizations. So they uh, sort of adopted me as a, <laughs> as a... They took you in as one of their own. They did, and they started <laughs> passing me village to village, and eventually it blossomed, it exploded into this enormous international sponsorship so by the time I got into the Muslim countries it was an international sponsorship and that just meant that from the big wigs right up top I had their approval and and so the Lions Clubs kept helping me doing fundraising all the rest of it mm-hmm. so once the Lions Clubs are so highly regarded and highly connected and well respected in Southeast Asia even across India so when they talk about something everybody listens mm-hmm. It's okay to listen because they're the Lions Clubs. Okay. To see what I mean? Yeah. And when they talk about something, even the government listens. That was crazy. That was just crazy to me. So here I'm walking in Malaysia. We're talking about breast cancer for the very first time. And because the Lions Clubs are talking about it, it's okay for the women to listen. It's okay for the women to accept that now the Lions Clubs are saying it's okay to go to a doctor and have them see you naked and check you out. It's okay. Uh, it was being validated. Yeah. By a, an organization that was well respected. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a that was a game changer. Yeah. And I was only in Malaysia for two months, but it was in the papers. There's five newspapers 
that represent the five different languages of Malaysia. Mm -hmm. And all five were covering the progress of this walk on average of three times a week. So it was essentially everywhere all the time. You were a celebrity. Yeah, walking. And it was walking with, (laughs) I mean, the Lions Clubs and now Rotary Clubs got involved as well, which Mm. are just as highly regarded. There were piles of people walking with me every day. I mean, 80, 100 people walking. Really? Oh, it was like Forrest Gump out there just walking on the roads. How did it feel to have the energy of, uh, of strangers? coming to join you just to be a part of this even just for a day it was thrilling and exhausting it was absolutely exhausting because they change groups every three miles because they're going village to village so there was a pile of people let's say there's 50 people and they're walking with me and then i then we come to the next town and there's a pile of people greeting us so you say goodbye to everyone thank you for coming thank you for coming thank you for nice and you to want to have you. a nice personal you, connection nice with everybody and yeah. then you greet everybody else nice right. to meet you and then you walk three more miles <laughs> it, and it was like that for Months. It, yeah. was, it wow. was exhausting and. But these are things you couldn't predict when you started. I mean, you get all this backing, all this support, the way things come together organically. You just set off with the pure intention to to raise awareness, and like you said, I mean the the world seemed to rally around you. I'll tell you what was so <laughs> so funny because for the years prior, the three years or so prior, while I was training. You know, it, training so much but at least um doing my homework and organizing it all I, I say not training because it's not like i was laying on the couch for my, a lifetime that well i better right. get up and get in shape i mean i'd always kind of been a gym rat and i right. was you know whatever so my training quote unquote was to read the i was reading books a lot about people that had been through these endurance events and mm. and trying to get into the mind frame of the the perseverance it's going to take so what have other people done the, the, the mental perseverance yeah yeah. So I was reading a lot of books on that. So I was I was really preparing for years on how to be alone for long stretches and this kind of thing, right? What I'd never even thought about preparing for was the polar opposite of that. And that was Having the crowds of people. <laughs> and they're pulling and pushing and they're crowds and the, and the the lifting on occasion and <laughs> I didn't prepare for that. So I was uh I was going through a tough time there, trying yeah. to find, you know, as Americans, we like to find our balance. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah, they don't care about Yeah, you don't, you don't have the option to, uh, <laughs> hey, I just want to be alone for a little while. <laughs> They're not yeah. going to let you alone. Yeah. Not at all. And you're all. also, because you're, you're carrying the weight or representing something bigger than just you, and, and that's, that's also something you have to do, I think, that you... You can't just be like, hey, everybody just back off for a minute, all right? exactly right. It's exactly right. I had to really form this balance. And then, you know, so I'm grateful to the nines. You can't even imagine, Mm. you know. And and then you're exhausted. And then you have to realize that this isn't about me. This is about them wanting to be involved with something bigger. Mm -hmm. And... I had a conversation with my dad during that crazy time in Malaysia. And he says, let them help you. Mm. Just let them help you. Kind of let go a little. thrill yeah. for them. And mm. uh, because I'm not used to having people pounce on my every need, you know. Mm-hmm. Banana. Yeah. Here you go. <laughs> the girl needs a banana. Somebody get a banana. <laughs> people jump on their phone. Do you need a banana? Do you need a banana? No. <laughs> I'm like, Wow. <laughs> Snapping your fingers. I want a piece of fruit. Get the lady some fruit. (laughs) That's great. 
I want to ask you about the the mental perseverance you mentioned because you you, you said you prepared uh, mentally by reading some books and but I don't think of course anything can't really compare uh, prepare you for the actual reality of it. Uh, what what did you learn on that perseverance side? That what does it take in in your head, like compared to, I guess, what you read and then what you actually experienced, do you have some key takeaways that uh, you want to share that, you know, kind of would give maybe some advice for somebody looking to do uh, something larger like well, this? I, I, I don't know that the books necessarily taught me this, but this is how I looked at it regardless. I looked at it as almost a contract. This is a contract I have for five years, mm-hmm. contract with myself. So that was one thing. So if you have a bad day at work, you have a contract at work, you don't have a bad day and throw your arms up and like, well, I'm out of here. You still show up the next day. You show up, you, you persevere right through it. And um, so that's one thing. I just thought about it as a contract. I got to tell you, I really thought of it like there wasn't an option. There was not an option in quitting. That wasn't an option. And think about it. When you, when something's not an option, you're not going to waste your time and energy on it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you're not going to the moon this weekend. It's not an option. So why would you waste all this time and energy on that, right? So that was what it was for me. Now, if I'm going through a tough time, there are other ways to, other avenues to pursue as opposed to just flying home. So that's how I looked at it. Yeah. Well, frankly, I didn't even have to look it at was that. A, it wasn't even an option. Full you know? commitment. And there was no... It just, yeah. You weren't uh, going to go back until no, it was done. It, it's also as simple as I expected tough times. Yeah. It's not like they came blind to me. Okay. I did not expect mm-hmm. things to run smoothly. And then, then right. when they didn't, I go, why me? <laughs> you yeah, know? That's a huge point. It really is. Yeah. So when you start a business, when you get married, when you have children... You better wake up. Things are not going to run smoothly. Right. Newsflash. When you live on planet Earth. Thank you. <laughs> right? I mean, so it's just uh, knowing when those come, it's your reaction to them, essentially. Right. And I, uh, this is how I did it. I, I caught myself thinking this one time, like, uh, you know, I'd, I'd hit a tough time. And it was almost, I went, okay, here we go. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and you brace yourself and you, <laughs> you, you structure it out and you reach out to people. You ask for help. You get all the all the opinions and all the facts then you make a decision and it was really about you know restructuring and accepting tough times now I really did notice this pattern that was going on though it was like good times then bad times and good times then bad and you see this flow this ebb and flow which really pulled me through the tough times you know it's like okay this too shall pass kind of mentality and that helps the problem was, then when I was having good times, I was like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> so I had to, again, find that balance. But yeah. it really does pull you through once you've been through it a couple of times. It's like, you know, when you're going through some tough times, that doesn't mean it's the beginning of this trend that's going to go on forever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just your bump. It's let's just your let's bump talk about the, that hill. I want to take, let's go to the top of the hill first. Okay, and, the good times? I, yeah, well, I just want to ask you about a time that maybe, um, it could even have been a private moment for you it could be anything really where it just everything just felt you just felt like amazing or you just felt on top of the world uh for really great question really great question because usually a lot of times when people ask your your best moments uh 
they are for me private moments because there are some big milestone events like I, Gandhi's granddaughter greeted me on the way into Mumbai as I was finishing my India strip. That's a big honor. moment, yeah. right? And she gave me a private tour of his house and all the rest of it. But for me, it is those private moments. I remember two in particular and they were both just me walking and it's just like the light is right, the weather is perfect and I have my plans in place and I just feel complete and whole and and, and happy with it. And one time was just, I remember walking in Australia when the Lions Clubs really started getting involved and that relationship was getting stronger and stronger and clearer. And, and I was having fundraising events almost every night, which of course is exhausting. Yeah. But it had been so unbelievably successful beyond my wildest dreams, frankly, beyond. And I just remember one day I was by myself. I knew exactly where I was going. I felt comfortable. But I was just pushing my buggy bob, and the sun was just right, and the weather was perfect, and just walking across this big bridge, welcoming me into this small town, and I was all by myself, not a car around. Yeah. It was just a perfect moment. Going wow. Yeah. It's really settling in nicely, isn't it? And the second moment was very similar, but I was walking into London, walking into the Westminster, across the Westminster Bridge at night, and the hustle and the bustle, and it's dark out, and the people are... <laughs> hustling around and I see Big Ben and the and the Parliament building and and it's like wow I had this reality of I've walked here. This is my moment. Yeah. Pushing my buggy over the bridge with all the chaos going on and me just watching it across the Thames River sparkling and really great moment. That's thanks for sharing that. I find when you are traveling it's it is those moments that really do stand out there. The, like I said, the private moments in your head where you're just like, wow, everything just feels perfect right now. Uh, oftentimes, I think some of the lower moments maybe can be quite the opposite. They're usually externally uh, related, I think. Mm. And, then, and then you have to kind of internalize and process and, and kind of come to peace. I don't know if you found the same, but I wanted to hear about maybe some of those uh, tougher times. That could be general uh, country or just uh, a leg of the trip or, or it could be, you know, something inside that you were struggling with during a period of time. Maybe we take a walk a little bit this way. Yeah. One of the toughest times I, I had that I really struggled through was walking through India. And yeah. it, 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 it was external. And I wonder how much was internal. I found out years later that, well, I was on malaria pills. Yeah. And I found out years later that taking malaria pills can affect you mentally. And, oh, yeah. You know, some, yeah, yeah. someone tells me Were you this taking like larium 10 years later. Or... I have no idea. Yeah, because, yeah, there's definitely side effects for So, sure. who knew? Right. I just figured it was India. And, you know, Things, that's, and that's yeah, the end Could have been related to... That's why I'm impatient and... <laughs> sure, sure. And aggravated yeah, and yeah. this kind of thing. So, huh. someone 10 years later says, you know... It, did you find yourself really impatient? And did it, I'm like, well, yeah, but I thought that was just India. <laughs> so I, I wasn't proud of myself as I walked across India. I'm proud that I made it because I doubt anyone else on the planet could actually do that <laughs> right, right after 9-11 and riots going on and the whole thing. Because it was so intense for you? It was. It was a, a different culture and it was... Not just Indian culture, but it was right through the tribal areas and and the almost stalking of people and uh, so there was a culture clash 
and people trying to tell me what to do because that's the men trying to control the woman kind of thing. Right. I had a plan. Male, male dominated society. It, it really was. Yeah. And so there was a lot of that extreme heat. Yeah. And, um, physically and mentally challenging ev almost every moment. I had upped the mileage as well from about 16 miles a day on average to about 26 miles a day on average. So uh, it was also exhausting. And, yeah. And, uh, hmm. so there was all of that and the, the hassling. I mean, there was just, just harassment, harassment, harassment. Mm. So again, I think I had a valid reason to be impatient and snappy sure. and all this stuff. But then I find out years later, oh, that could have been it. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I'm not going to use that as an excuse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, of course, there's there's something to that. But you had a lot kind of to deal with there. I'd say. Um, I wanted to ask you about walking as a mode of travel because you know I think. I think we can idealize it sometimes, you know, because if you think about walking, you think about those moments that you describe where it's like, oh, you know, everything's perfect and you're walking across the nice bridge in the cute town. Um, you don't think about, like, the time you have to walk, like, in an industrial area by the airport or something like that. Did you end up in some <laughs> random sort of weird... I mean, I'm sure you did, but um, yeah. what was it like when, when you ended up in those types of places? Is it just... Uh, like you, you might have gone for days maybe I would imagine in just some not so scenic places yeah. I mean did you find that uh, how did you kind of process that was it like hey this is just part of the journey or um, you know were you I just see. like hey I can't wait to get to the next you know beautiful <laughs> it, mountain view it, or no, it was <laughs> come from a beautiful place so. <laughs> I accepted it for what it was I yeah. really did because I you can't expect to walk around the world and have a scenic view the whole time that was never my sure uh, the, the the thought in my head I'll tell you you know people have different comfort zones so when I would ask someone directions again this is before GPS's and such right for the most part I had maps but sometimes the maps weren't as detailed as I needed so I would ask a local that I'm just run into on the road or something i'd yeah. say can you tell me which way to you know whatever town i remember this happened in new zealand can you tell me is this the right way to wellington <laughs> well yeah but you can't walk there i was like you can't well no that'll take you you know eight hours I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, I started in the United States. <laughs> those, those conversations must have been hysterical. Well, they were. So other people's comfort zones and they don't know what yeah, you're doing. Right. And you don't necessarily want to explain it to everybody. Right. So I'm like, well, that's okay. But it's this way, right? So my point is that some people would tell me, you don't want to go that way because it's it's ugly and it doesn't have this a shoulder on the road right. or it's They're dangerous. They're just looking out for you kind of. And then it's just perfect. It's fine. It's fabulous. <laughs> and then other people, in fact, turn out to be exactly what they said. And I'm right. like, wow, this really is bad. <laughs> you know, but you didn't know who to trust because they have different comfort zones than you do. Yeah. So I remember that was always an issue. Do I believe this guy? It's not like he's lying, but yeah. his comfort zone's different. So that was always a big... That's problem. true, yeah. It, mu it must be a fun thing, though, to have in your back pocket sometimes if you're having a conversation. You know, you could always whip out the, hey, I'm walking around the world card. <laughs> it's like, this is really going to blow this person's mind right now. Some people don't get it at all. They'll, you know, and, they don't believe And frankly, it. I don't really bring it up, not that I'm not proud of it, but it's yeah. kind of a conversation hog. 
sure, <laughs> you know because yeah, everybody's going to ask you a million right and so. it's 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 not just a, refer them to the zero to travel podcast okay i'll, get I'll everything do that <laughs> i'm kidding um, well, what does that mean did you do a walk in every country no that's not what that means. it means right. i started and just put one foot in front of the other and then finished in the same place yeah and that's the empowering thing i think about thinking about walking i guess i mean you know we're taking a walk right now just around this lake but we could in theory just keep going you have in fact done that and it's just it even though i understand it like conceptually it's still uh it still amazes me i think what you did is really spectacular and special um got got a few more questions for you uh i wanted to ask you about uh, the price you pay for something like this i think anytime of course when you do something you're giving up some something else um, I, I would imagine, I would venture a guess that you would say that you've gained much more than you've sacrificed. But what what did you sacrifice by doing this, do you think? You know, yeah. now in hindsight, you've had some time to, you know, some distance from this. You know, it's funny you say that because me and a friend were just talking about retirement. And they're like, yeah, we're getting ready to retire. And I'm like, I'm just starting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> now I chose, I made a very conscious choice yeah. to live my life the way that I did. It wasn't this, you know, being naive about someday I'll have to retire. Yeah. Very aware of that. So I feel like I'm getting a late start career-wise. Mm-hmm. So with that said, though, I'm passionate about my career now. Right. And I you're would speaking, not yeah. have the career that I have if... I hadn't gone the route that I did. Yeah, I do motivational speaking about my walk, but I also have a, a, a publishing consulting yeah. company. Okay. And so I, I drive consult authors right through the publishing of their book. And that stemmed from my book about my walk. Mm-hmm. So it took me five years to walk around the world, six years to write the book about it, etc. So I, I guide people through that. So it would not have happened. You see the chain of sure. the dot to dot that led me to, to this career. Yeah. So I feel very at, at peace and and full of passion for what I do, and I would not have had. I, I wonder sometimes if I hadn't had the guts to go ahead and do that walk, where would I be today? Right. I'd probably be working some job that I hate and struggle with every day. Ugh. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately... I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years. I don't even remember how long it's been, and they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. 
and you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. I was wondering if you'd, you'd be willing to share something that maybe you haven't shared before uh, from your experience. Maybe it's something that people don't really know about you or maybe it was a moment or just something that would surprise even people that you may know. I mean, do you have, did anything pop in your head there? <laughs> I'm just curious, uh, you know, not to get too, not to dig in too deep, but uh, yeah, I mean, five years of experience walking around the world and I, I'm, I know, you know, that can be good or bad, but I mean, yes, I'm just curious, exactly. is, is there, um, is there something you haven't shared? You know, you've written a book, you've done all these talks all over the world. No, that, that, that is a good question. I'll have to peruse it. I mean, I've told a couple of friends certain things that, um, <laughs> that are just silly. Yeah. You know, I don't know that they're, they're that private per se, but I remember, <laughs> like I had to travel as light as possible. Yeah. Right. So I had one pair of pants. Okay. <laughs> one pair of right. pants. Okay. You have practical stuff. Yeah. Right. One pair of pants. So it occurred to me after like six months of this, you know, I've worn the same pair of pants for six months every single day. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can go to a year. <laughs> <laughs> so I sure enough, I wear one pair of pants every day for a year. Right and then they're full of holes and everything. I said, I'm just going to cut them off into shorts and it's summertime. So I wore these things <laughs> as if this was something to be proud of. Right. <laughs> And I'm, See, I dig that. I think it is, <laughs> right? actually. Yeah, they must be hanging up and framed somewhere. <laughs> so, And they're sunburnt and all the rest of it. And then it occurs to me one day, you know, I probably shouldn't brag about that. <laughs> That's pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're talking to the right audience because I right. think most people listening think it's pretty cool. Uh, that's so funny. Um, do you keep some... Uh, keepsakes? Keep some keepsakes. Do you have some keepsakes from, uh, from your trip? Surprisingly few. Yeah. Surprisingly little. You know, I really didn't do any shopping. Mm. <laughs> I remember one thing I bought, but... Uh, You're carrying uh, everything. It's, yeah. yeah. And I had no money for that kind of extra stuff. Mm. I really just was taking my memories and my photos for, for the keepsakes. But when I was in Thailand, not Thailand, uh, Turkey, for some reason, I just decided to... I wanted to buy a backgammon board. You know, yeah. that was it. I've got this... You know, handmade, state-of-the-art backgammon board. So of all the things around the world, I got this state-of-the-art backgammon board. I, I love playing games. So I say backgammon's fun. I, uh, you know, I think I that was a good buy. Thank you. Yeah, of course, nobody here knows how to play it. So uh, none of my friends, anyway. So it sits there by itself. Right. But that was one of my purchases. Now, a lot of people gave me things, which yeah. I thought was very funny. Mm -hmm. Because that's like another thing I didn't expect. So I kept you know, shipping boxes, boxes home because people would come up and give you gifts, mm. you know, handmade blankets and, you know, stuffed animals and, you know, keepsakes yeah. and this kind of thing. And I remember some guy handcrafted a little Thai house in Thailand and it's out of their teak wood, so that's very special to me. So I have some, yeah. but surprisingly little, and I really didn't do sightseeing per se either. How long after you came home did it take to feel like 
normal's the wrong word because what's normal, you know? Yeah. Nor your normal life for five years was getting up and walking. To me, that's as normal as somebody getting up and going to work. Maybe not according yeah. to culture and society, but hey, that's what you're doing with your life. So you're getting up, you're walking, and people live their lives in many different ways. Uh, but you know, you didn't live. You can't live that way forever. So then you came home to a spot. So you spent five years getting up, walking, on the move every day, or almost every day, at least just being on the go, accomplishing this thing. And now you're back home. What was it like settling back in to, you came back to Colorado? Yeah. Was that difficult? Uh, you know, it, it wasn't at all. No. And I, and I know a lot of people have a tough time with that. Yeah. I didn't. And I think there's two different reasons. One is that I had been on the road for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. You were and ready. I was really, really ready for that next chapter, which for me was settling in, nesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, w I had been nesting, so I was 42 when I finished. And, you know, women go through their nesting phase, I think, earlier than that. So I could tell I was really starting to nest when I was, I was walking across Kansas pushing my buggy, and I could just catch myself daydreaming about how I would decorate my condo. And This is right when you were almost <laughs> I was almost home, yeah. and I start planning how I'm going <laughs> to decorate. And I mean, I was really nesting. Yeah. And then I would walk into these towns like Dodge City, Kansas, going, I could live here. <laughs> yeah, I could stay here. Maybe I'll just stop right here. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, i got to get home. <laughs> you know? So I really was nesting. I was very, very ready for a new chapter, which was digging roots deep in community and neighbors and friends and stuff yeah. like that. So still takes time, yeah. I guess, to, to settle, though, or figure it out. Or, yeah. Or reintegration period. Yeah. The reintegration was was so gradual. So it's not like I was plucked out of the tribal regions of India and then deposited into Denver, Colorado. You still had to walk across I, the U.S. Yes. Yeah. So I, I had my culture shock coming back into the States and then I walked across the U.S. for like a year and a half. So I was <laughs> getting used to the culture right. and, and all that stuff. And so by the time I landed, there was that whole year actually planning where I was going to stay when mm -hmm. I finished. I, I was brand new to Denver. I knew two people, so that mm -hmm. was enough to kind of get me started. I'm curious, being so. from here, how did it compare walking through this country versus uh, maybe some of the other countries you visited, just as somebody who grew up here? I'm just curious what your experience was. Mine, personally speaking, was the greatest time of my life. Yeah? Walking around the world and in, in, in the inadvertent era in which it was, meaning 9-11 and the immediate aftermath and the war in Iraq and all that, 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 there was this great discovery of America from the other side. So I'm walking through all these countries where people migrated over to the United States and built this country. Mm. So I'm learning about it and then I land in my country and there's one of rediscovery. And I'm seeing how all these other countries came together to build this one and how it affected what we got out of them and how we sort of cherry-picked these great things out of every culture and built our own. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. how it's, it was the most special, beautiful, beautiful time. I feel so blessed in my life to have experienced that that very, very, very few people do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I haven't heard that. That's a really well said, eloquently put, I think. I hadn't thought of uh, it in that way, but I mean, you're you're basically taking your, all of your experience on the ground and seeing how 
things were built here. I mean, that's yeah. I would walk through, say, I, I remember walking in Italy on this little side road. I just, you know, happened to spot something in the forest mm-hmm. that I just kind of poked my head in to see what it was, and it was this this marker of a, an American soldier that had died there. Mm. So you're seeing that, and then you're seeing, um, you know, the museums coming up through Europe about about the wars there, and you're also seeing the language. You know, of course, when you don't speak the languages, it's all, it's like your eyes being blurry, blurry, blurry. And then there's a word you understand and it's like clear. Yeah. So it's like blurry, blurry, blurry cafe. Yeah, cafe, <laughs> that came from here. Or son of a gun or bratwurst or cookie. The word cookie, waffle. I mean, all these, cra- mine are about food. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love food too. <laughs> so, all these words and foods yeah. and, and fashions that all came from this country and people came and and built America. So yeah. I was watching that, especially language. I just really yeah. had this, developed this great love for language throughout my journey. And then coming into America and, and this great discovery walking across America. The greatest time in my life. And yeah, I mean, people just, I, I record this in my book that one day like nine people came and just gave me gifts. You know, you that girl doing that walk. Well, here's some Muffins you know. or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Some homemade juice. And here's some honey from <laughs> yeah, my backyard. Exactly. And we own a winery. Come on up. Right, right, right. I'm like, okay. Wow. <laughs> so it, it was a beautiful time. And I, I really wish that any business major or a political major would just walk across a country or a state hmm. and, and instead of a thesis and just right. really discover and talk to people, talk to the leaders. Because I was going table, dinner table to dinner table talking to you know, teachers and mayors and farmers and, you know, hearing how Interacting with every type of person in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing how policies affect them. And it's like, this is a, this is a beautiful way. It's a beautiful university going out and talking to everybody. I always find it shocking too, when you get back to the States after being gone and then you can actually, you mentioned language, you can actually understand everybody. And you're like, wow. (laughs) I know what they're saying. This is weird. (laughs) Suddenly everything's in focus. Before I let you go, I wanted to get some tips from you. Some, uh, this is going to be, you probably have a ton, but uh, somebody that's listening and I think everybody's got some, you know, big dreams and big goals or ideas inside uh, that they think about. Um, How do you, what are some tips that you would, would say either on the mindset side or even the practical side? for bringing a big dream or a big idea like this into reality? First, I would get your team together. When I say your team, that doesn't necessarily mean they even know about it. (laughs) But um, who are you going to turn to for an emergency? Is that going to be your mother, your father? Is it going to be your best friend? Who are you going to turn to for going through the tough times that will inevitably happen, that you are going to have an emotional breakdown and you need someone to lift you and get you focused? Is that going to be your best friend? Surround yourself with the right people. Yeah. So so you you create your team. And I did. You know, that might be the, the... 10 people sitting in front of you and I'm going to turn to you for that and you for that and you for that. So that's one thing. Um, I would say also about the creating the people around you, only surround yourself with people that are supportive. If that means essentially walking away from people that aren't supportive, I, I have to be an advocate of that. If they're that big and important to dream to you, 
because those people really can drag you down and unfortunately they exist so uh, sometimes they're close to you and sometimes they're close to you now lucky for me the people close to me were very supportive there were people on sort of the second or third tier of my life that weren't I really had no problem walking away from that but I did not want to drain a lot of energy trying to explain myself or whatever so yeah. So I just think it's that important. Mm. I am a big fan, and I found out later when I became, you know, more in the professional area that all, all these professional development classes and whatever, I'm like, wow, well, that's what I did. And that is to write everything down. First of all, you can write down your vision. You can write it down uh, stream of consciousness in story form, or you can write bullet lists. And I really did it in bullet lists. I did it in bullet lists. So, for example, I wrote down my route town to town to town to town every day and I was always two months ahead of myself mm -hmm. I knew exactly if someone said I will meet you on November 14th at four o'clock at this restaurant in your town mm -hmm. I would be there every single time not once was I even late really yeah wow. I had nailed, and I didn't want to go beyond two months because you know it's you, unpredictable yeah yeah uh, there's health and injury and whatever could get in your way but two months in advance, if people were going to help me, maybe even do a fundraising event, they had to depend on me. So when I wrote it down, it was very, very clear for me constantly. I looked at that every single night, every night. And I do that in the professional world now. I write down things every night, step by step, so nothing is overwhelming. Yeah. Step by step. And in fact, it's so funny. I, I think I took a class one time and someone said, just do three things. And if you get overwhelmed with those three things, narrow it down to three smaller things. If it gets down to go to your computer, number one, turn on the computer, number two. <laughs> Break it down to the smallest steps if possible. If you have to, and sure enough, I, I've done that before, just go to my computer, just turn it on and find the document you're going to work with. There's three things. Yay! Yeah. And what, what happens is the overwhelm disappears mm -hmm. and you start to see momentum. That's what happens. You yeah. start to see momentum. So trust do three small steps that are hardly worth mentioning if you have to break it down into that. And it literally is one step at a time, whether you're walking around the world, physical steps, or you know, breaking something down to uh, action steps you need to take. And uh, I really do follow my own advice, I promise you. Yeah. Because writing a book I is a monster <laughs> event as well. And I, and I had to do that. Go to the computer, turn it on, right. get to chapter three. Oh, okay. Well, I'm done okay. for the day. Can I get a glass <laughs> <Right>. of lemonade? <laughs> Um, so, just work on the opening sentence. Okay. <laughs> well, the book so. is, of course, uh, three miles per hour, and I just i I can't thank you enough for uh, just spending the time to come out here on this beautiful day and have this in person chat with me and sharing your story with with uh, everybody here, uh, you, the listener, and um, all your perspectives and everything that you have done for. Uh, global awareness for breast cancer, not only here, but in nations all over the world, nations that sounded like at that time really needed somebody to come in and like make this okay. And you probably will never know the impact you've made. And uh, never know. It's you can't know, but you can feel, I'm sure, great about what you've done. And I want to say thank you uh, just with my personal experience with breast cancer and uh, 
Yeah. So uh, I'd, I'd like to just say, you know, your story's amazing and thanks. And I would like to give you a hug if that's okay. Thank you. <laughs> and greetings to your mother. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, Polly's book has won six national awards. Uh, she has a documentary. She's speaking and obviously works with uh, publishers and other authors. Uh, check out her site, pollylatofsky.com. That's L-E-T-O-F-S-K-Y. Um, Check it out, and um, thank you again. Thank you, sir. There you have it. My walk with Polly. What an incredible human being. Awesome. Uh, What a treat, too. And it was great for me to pull this out of the archives as a highlight to be able to experience this interview again. It really took me back to Colorado. It took me back to that walk with Polly, and I was just excited to share this with you again. Got so many incredible interviews like this in the archives. Don't be afraid to dive deeper into the feed if you want some more travel goodies. Now, let me talk about walking, one of my favorite things to do. I love to walk. I don't know about you. I don't own a car here where I live in Norway. I'm fortunate in that I can walk about eh, 12, 15 minutes down a hill through the forest to get to the subway. Uh, it takes a little longer uphill, I guess. The stores are down by that station as well. I can walk to a lake where you can swim. There's a forest right outside of my house. So a lot of good stuff around here in walking distance. But also I set myself up for that because I love to walk. I don't want to have to get in a car to do everything. And yes, it's more convenient. But the thing about walking is, I don't know, it just slows you down, right? Uh, not not just physically. It takes longer to get places, of course. Sometimes that's inconvenient. Little story. Yesterday, we got home from a trip. We're visiting my in-laws, and we needed milk. My son's three. He needs his milk. He needs his milk bottle at night, and we didn't have anything. So, you know, need to take a walk down the store. Instead of driving and being back in a very short amount of time, just getting it done. Yeah, I was tired. We've been traveling all day, but I took a walk down to the store. So, so what? Took a little longer had to walk back up. I got some exercise. I got some time to think. I got to chat with my mom on the phone. It was all good. And I find that walking, even though things take longer, is better for my mind. It's better for my soul. Whenever I take a long walk, I sometimes listen to podcasts and music and other things like that. But I try to spend at least half of the walk without any distractions, no digital stuff. So if I go for a trail run or if I go for a long walk or whatever, I may or may not listen to something, but I only do that for half of the time generally. And then on my way back, I will just take the headphones out and just walk and think. And you know what? I should do that both ways because that's when my best ideas come. That's when I feel like I don't know. I just get all these sort of random ideas just by walking. It's something about creating that physical space for yourself and and at the same time creating that mental space for yourself. So all this being said, we talked a lot about walking today and travel. If you haven't taken some long walks lately or you just haven't made walking a part of your life recently, that would be my challenge. A little call to action for you, if you will, uh, coming out of this show. Take a walk. Take a walk and do something that you've never done by foot before. So if you've never walked to your neighborhood store, you've always driven and gotten your groceries that way, walk and do it next time. Or next time you go to the movies, walk to the movie theater. You know, if Polly can walk around the world, certainly we can walk 
uh, you know, somewhere in our town and do something. Walk to a restaurant that you've never walked to before. It doesn't have to be far. Just do it. You'll find uh, you might recapture some of that travel uh, energy, some of that feeling of adventure. It's a great thing. I feel like walking invites that because you're kind of vulnerable, right? You're just, you're out there walking, walking slow. There's no escape. And you kind of have to encounter what you encounter and deal with it, whether it's traffic or people or whatever. (laughs) It's fun. So anyway, a little fun challenge for you this week. Take a walk somewhere you've never walked to before. Let me know how it goes. Get in touch. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email address. You know it. And you can also leave me a voice message. I leave a link in all of the show notes where you can just click on a button and press another button and you record a voice message. 90 seconds or less is super easy to do. And I will hit you back with a voice message if you leave one. So please go ahead and get in touch. Either way, if you don't have time for that, no worries. I appreciate your presence here. Thank you for being a part of this uh, community. You keep me going. You are the reason I do this. And I want to thank you so much for that. Uh, Before I let you go, a couple shout outs in the community. I want to say thanks. I got some really nice reviews lately. And this one, Marco Landon, who said... It's not often that I will discover a podcast that entices me to binge over a dozen episodes in one go. Okay, first I have to hit pause here and say, thanks. I'm binge worthy, man. Thank you so much. That's uh, that's one of the ultimate compliments. Anyway, goes on to say, I'm a traveler who's been place bound for too long now, and my wife and I are currently paring down, preparing to leave everything behind and live for a few seasons in various places around the world. Love it. Jason's podcast is keeping me pumped for leaving. Keep my eye on the goal. I suspect we'll also be listening as we slow travel the planet. If you have itchy feet, this podcast will surely launch you out the door or at least help you bask in the reverie of the traveler's experience. Thank you so much for that five-star review. And I really wanted to read this out to give you a shout out for your intention. You and your wife paring down, getting ready to leave everything behind, live for a few seasons around the world. I love that. Just what a great intention, right? I'm just going to live for a few seasons in various places around the world. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Congrats to you, my friend. That's awesome. Here's another one from Nina. Five stars. Love this podcast. This is one of my favorite travel podcasts. Always because it's helped me think of travel differently. I've always wanted to take a sabbatical, but never considered the transition to travel and how much preparation goes into traveling full time. The episodes on transition to travel make my sabbatical dream seems much more realistic. I cannot wait to quit my nine to five someday. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Nina. And it all starts with you. Not just taking this information in or listening to these interviews. Yes, being inspired, but really considering that this is a possibility for you, whatever your situation is. So yes, that is the point, right? To share these stories and these experiences and allow them to empower you to do the traveling you want to do. Uh, That's the reason I highlight some of these interviews because I want uh, to give you a shout out for the things that you're doing, thinking about, working on, just setting yourself up for all of you out there that are in this community so many inspiring stories I get through email and, and through these uh, reviews and everything like that. This is what keeps this podcast going for seven plus years. And it's not stopping. I'm not stopping. No. I'm going to keep it rolling. I love doing this for you. So anyway, thank you so much for your time today. I am going to leave you with a quote from Henry David Thoreau, who said, an early morning walk is a blessing for the whole day. Says it all right there. <laughs> Thanks again. And I'll see you next time. Peace and love.
This podcast has been brought to you by zerototravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.